The following audio session was recorded live at the 2017 Region 2 Convention in Costa Mesa, California. Please visit oar2.org for information about the 2018 convention in Sacramento and to get links for more convention recordings. Thank you for listening. Okay. Welcome to the Anorexia Bulimia Workshop. My name is Lauren, and I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this workshop with Tish. Please join us in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we begin, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please check again. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members are reminded when sharing to speak to your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous only. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. If there is press in the room, please do not take any unauthorized pictures or identify anyone using their full name. There will be audio recordings of this workshop, which you may order outside in the foyer. This workshop will have speakers followed by Ask It Basket questions. So, my name is Lauren. I'm anorexic, bulimic, compulsive overeater, and I am very grateful that I was asked to speak today. Um, So I guess I'll just do, I'll share what it was like, what it used to be like, what happened and what it, what it's like now. And I have 20 minutes. Okay. So, um, where do I begin? I definitely never thought I'd be sitting here speaking on a panel. Um, in 2010, when I was in treatment, you were my first sponsor and you would try to tell me to like say affirmations in the mirror. And I thought it was absolutely ludicrous because I absolutely hated myself. And the thought of saying something nice to myself just made no sense to me because I never thought that I would make it to the other side. You know, like I definitely never thought that I would be in a place where I would feel like I had recovery from this disease. Um, I felt really, really, really hopeless I just thought it was like a death sentence. And the way I could kind of describe what it was like, it was like being in a prison of my own mind. And emotionally, physically, and spiritually, I was just dead. And just to go back on what it used to be like. So I'm from New York, and I come from a relatively normal-looking family on the outside. Um, In my home, it was always kind of stressed that what you looked like and what you did were the most important things. So from a very young age, there was never a question as to whether I was going to go to grad school. It was kind of just like what you did. Um, It was a very competitive area and um, achievement and being a professional was stressed in my family and it wasn't told to me, but I always felt that in order to be okay, I needed to achieve these things. And that also meant looking a certain way. So my mom also has an eating disorder, undiagnosed, and she was never in treatment or ever got um, any help. But what I remember being young is that she was, she was thin. She was always thin. She would always put down her body. So it was kind of confusing to me because I didn't understand why if you were thin, you would 
always be looking at yourself and complaining about parts of your body. I know it's not her fault I have an eating disorder. I mean, she didn't like hold a gun to my head and tell me to to do it. But um, I think it definitely played a part in how I was shaped. Just no, just thinking that no matter what, it doesn't matter how I feel on the inside at all. It matters what I look like. And being thin is the most important thing. And you'll go to any lengths to do that. And that's what I spent the majority of my life doing. Um, I was very intense as a child. I was very shy, very insecure. Um, I didn't know... I felt like I missed the handbook to life. Like I didn't understand how other people knew how to function. I kind of hid behind my mom. Um, our family, like they were saying during the lunch was very dysfunctional. Um, like my, you know, my dad was in politics. My mom was, you know, she went to college and grad school and, um, my dad would be like running for office and there'd be like signs all over our town with our last name on it. And, you know, then there'd just be chaos going on in our home. <clears throat> Like sometimes the police would be called and um, it was just kind of chaotic. And um, I just tried to be like the good girl, like always tried to be good. Um, and I just remember always feeling like I wasn't good enough, like I couldn't measure up. And the eating disorder started, I think, I like my first memory of having an eating disorder thought was when I was probably around four years old. And um, I remember looking at the girl next to me on the way to camp, and I was wondering why her thigh, why my thighs were bigger than hers, and I was only four. And um, I just remember, like, I don't know where that came from, but that's what I thought, you know. Um, and then my mom, she would only allow us to have like sweet cereals like every other Saturday, so sweets were a huge deal to me, like huge. When I can get them, I wanted them. My best friend growing up had like free reign of whatever sweet she wanted. And she lived down the street and I would like go over her house. And I remember feeling kind of shameful for always wanting so many sweets, but they were such a big deal to me, you know? And, um, starting when I was, when I was 12 years old, I got my appendix out and I was already thin. And even though I was always really tall, I thought I was bigger, but I wasn't like this, like cute little petite child growing up. I always thought I was big because I was tall. And um, when I got my appendix out, I lost about 10 pounds. And I remember some friends would make up a song about me that I was bony and I loved it. And um, starting in seventh grade, I actually purposely started restricting my food and I was always athletic and active. And um, that's kind of what I based my self-worth on for a really long time was my being an athlete. And that's what I did. I was a swimmer and a runner. So if anyone can relate to that, I don't know, but I was always in, in a bathing suit. I was always in Spanx during our track meets. And I always wanted to have this body of like one of the cross country runners. I wanted to be lanky and thin. And once I started to um, restrict my food, starting in like ninth grade, um, I, I was I, I got pretty I got pretty small. But I'm not just anorexic. I have all three of these things. So starting probably like in tenth grade or eleventh grade is when I started to put on weight. Like when swim season, I was I basically would work out you know for hours. And I sometimes in in high school I was I would do like track season, but also club swimming. So I go from like my track practice to swim practice, then home. And it was just nuts. And I didn't realize that I wasn't eating enough, but I would work out until I saw black. And that was when I was really, you know, when I was only in high school. And then probably junior year, I think I started to put on some weight and um, I started to feel so shameful about it. And that started the era of the dieting and how I like to say it was like the restrict binge purge cycle for so long. And I couldn't get out of it. So 
I started to put on weight when I was like a junior or a senior. And the first time I threw up, I was a senior in high school. And I'll never forget that. Like I knew exactly what I was doing, but I just consciously decided to like throw up a har- the holiday meal, like with my family. And I remember going in the bathroom and it was like, okay, well, this is, this is what I'm going to do. And, um, if I would have known that that first time would have led to another 12 years of bulimia, I probably, I would have never done it. But I was, like I said, I was very insecure and I, that was just a way for me, I think, to control what I couldn't on the outside. Like I used to have teachers say to me like, Lauren, are you okay? Like, what's wrong? You look like you're like holding yourself, like you're scared. And I just think, um, I was so uptight and so anxious that when I got to my sports sessions or whatever it was, is when I could actually take a deep breath. Cause I felt like I was walking around all day and like I couldn't breathe. So college started out, um, probably the six times where I would gain and lose 30 pounds within a period of a few months. So, um, I went away to school and I was diagnosed with like every mental illness besides an eating disorder you could possibly think of. And, um, they put me on antidepressants and what would look like, I mean, I, I literally looked like I was very, very mentally ill and I didn't know I had an eating disorder. I just thought this is a way I was reared and geared from when I was so young. And this is just what you did. Like, this is what you do. This is normal. And I withdrew from college my freshman year. I just came home and I didn't leave my house. I wouldn't leave my bed. I was so depressed and I felt like I'd failed. I felt like I failed myself and my family. And um, I put on like 30 pounds in like a few, a few months. And I went back to that school and the same thing kept happening where I would just be in my bed, just eating everything. And then I'd be like, okay, we're on this diet. And I was always trying to get back to this point, but because I'm bulimic, it always led to the same thing. Every diet always led to a binge, which then, which then always led to throwing up again. And it was just this cycle that was killing me inside and killing me spiritually somehow because I was raised to think that I think because, um, it was so important what you did. I like pushed through and and graduated college, but I had, I withdrew again. So I had a whole nother semester, two semesters of completely lost credits, but I ended up graduating college. And then I went on to grad school and I was being the good girl I thought I was supposed to be, but nobody knew really what was going on. And I would, you know, my parents would like, my mom would hide the food. She put lock boxes on with, you know, she put signs like Lauren do not eat because she didn't know. I don't think she ever knew what I was doing. Just like the other, just like a few weeks ago, she said to me, oh yeah, like I thought that when you were getting sick, you couldn't help it. I was like, no, because sometimes I'd say to her like, mom, I'm th- I throw up and she'd be like, don't do that, Lauren. But like, she didn't know that it was like bulimia. Um, I got very, very sick. I was married previously and I got really, really sick the year before I got married. Um, I was in the hospital and, um, I was having heart palpitations and I was dehydrated. I needed to be put on IVs and they were looking at me like, what's, why are you doing this to yourself? And I just couldn't really answer. Um, so what happened was I started working and I felt like a fraud because I'm like in the field where you're supposed to help other people. And, um, I would go and I would like get dressed in the morning and I would tell myself every single day, today's the day you're going to stick to your diet. You're not going to do what you did. You're not going to do it. And I would find myself like groundhog's day every day where all of a sudden the thoughts would come in my head of the food. And then I couldn't stop it. And then I'd find myself in the store telling myself and fighting with them, pleading with myself, Lauren, just go home. You don't have to do this. And I, to this day, I still can't eat those things I used to binge on because it was, it was just like this ritual before I even got home, I was tearing open the bags, you know, and then I would just get as much food as I could. I mean, so much sugar to the point, like my heart would be 
pounding so fast that it's like, then I would like fall asleep. And this would go on day after day after day. And like I said, I was always trying to get back to this point of where I was on this restrictive diet, but I couldn't ever, I could never maintain that for that long. Um, and then it was kind of suggested to me that perhaps I need to go to treatment. And I kind of looked at the person like she was absolutely crazy. Um, I knew that I had a problem and I knew that it was bad. And I think the reason I left eventually was because the idea of killing myself got really appealing. And I would always kind of like picture my family and that stopped. And I started to get nervous, like, wow, I might actually, I might actually do this. So I was supposed to go away for a month and come back and start working again. And no one would ever know where I was. And what happened was that month turned into three months of residential inpatient treatment. And then they wanted me to go to aftercare. Now I thought the people who did aftercare were super sick. Cause I'm like, wait a second, you mean to tell me you're going here for 90 days and then you're going to another place. But no, they said, Lauren, if you want to save your life, this is what you need to do. So that started my journey and that landed me out in California and I still couldn't give it up. And that man I was married to basically said like he couldn't, he couldn't do it anymore because that, I was away for six months and we were pretty much newly married and I came home and within like three days I decided not to eat breakfast and I was on and running again, binging and purging again. And that landed me in about five other hospitals and treatment centers within a year. So within a year I was in like five or six treatment centers and I remember being in the eating disorder unit in a hospital and um, I had two abnormal EKGs. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not sick enough of these people. Like one girl has to have a heart monitor on like all day and I didn't. But to have a cardiologist like standing in your bedroom saying like, okay, everything's fine right now. But it still didn't kind of make me feel like I was sick enough. Like I never felt like I was quite sick enough. I don't know at what point I would have felt like I was sick enough. But um, after I stopped throwing up, the EKGs were normal again. So I know that it was because the potassium was like showing up in my organs. And that's what the doctor had told me. And when I came back out to California again, it's because I had to go to treatment again after that. And um, like I said, I thought that I was going to just be in this prison for the rest of my life. And where exercise is involved in this, I started to train for these long distance events and I didn't care about my body at all. I started running until I literally couldn't take one more step. I was training for a marathon and I got bursitis in my hip and tendonitis in both of my shins. And um, exercise is one of the biggest components of my disease. So I have to be really, really, really careful about that. And when they told me when I got to treatment that I would never be able to really run again like a normal person, I was like, wait, what? Like, how is that ever, ever going to happen? I am, I'm a runner. Like, what are you talking about? And I don't run. To this day, I don't run. And it's a miracle. Like, I was sick this week and I didn't work out all week. And I would have pushed myself and not cared about what happened to my body. But I decided, you know what? Like, I don't, I don't want to be sick. Like what I'm, I'm going to survive, you know? So basically they taught me and what my food plan looks like is I have a nutritionist I still work with. And she told me that anything I restrict, I'm going to wind up binging on. So this might be very different from, from, from some of the other people or food plans, but this is my, this is what I need to do for me. So I learned how to eat moderately and how to eat everything, which was scary and petrifying. And I didn't like it. I didn't want to do it because I either ate all of it or none of it. Like there's no like eating one cookie or eating like one snack. But I'll tell you, I look forward to my snack every single day. And um, I'm like a little kid. Like to this day, it's like I, I, I don't keep like a bag of chocolate in the house, but I do allow myself to have a snack every day because I find for me, when I tried doing it another way where I didn't eat that stuff, what I thought my food just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And it was like all the, I'll binge on anything. So 
I just had to learn portion control and how to kind of um, eat in a moderate way. And the miracle is I don't have to wake up in the morning and think about what I did the night before. I don't have to think about the shame and the guilt that I would feel when I would binge or when I would throw up or I have to make this, you know, clean up this mess after myself or have to be on this diet. And all I could think about all day was maintaining this diet, you know, and I haven't had to live like that in a really, really long time. And I never thought it would be possible. And, um, when they asked me to speak on this panel, I'm kind of just like, oh my gosh, like, do I have enough recovery, you know? But I know that that's my head and my story is my story, you know? I haven't had to go back to treatment and my abstinence date is January 31st of 2013. And I, my abstinence for me is just not throwing up and maybe one day it will change, but that's what it is for now. Um, in order to follow, my, my meal plan has to be the most important thing. So I have to make sure I always have food in my house because it's easy to be like, oh, well, I don't have food, so I don't need to eat lunch until two o'clock, you know, five, four minutes. Okay. Um, so I found for me, like the most important thing is having food in my house. And what I work on with my nutritionist now is trying to not be so rigid because I could still, I still get into that mindset where my head tells me like, if you eat whatever you want, like you're not going to be the weight you want to be. So I want, you know, I'm working with her on trying to make decisions that are based on like, what tastes good today? Like, what do I want to eat? Because I don't even know what I like. I mean, when I first got here, I didn't know what I liked. It was just driven on this rigid, you know, plan of how I thought I needed to be in order to look a certain way. And I didn't go to the gym for about four years. And some of my friends who I went to treatment with were like back at the gym. And I was like super resentful. Like if I saw someone running, I was like, I hate you. <laughs> um, I couldn't deal with that. That was really, really hard. But I found other things that I like to do. I love to go hiking. I love to go backpacking. I love paddleboarding. I, I love yoga. So I, I do things today that my, my nutritionist had to give me like a pretty strict, she's like, you can do like three exercise classes or like yoga sessions a week. Like that's it. Cause I find that I'll be like, okay, so could I, what could I do? Even like my walks will be like, okay, a little bit more, a little bit more. And what happened in this program, I think I started to get gifts back really quickly. Um, that career that I thought that I lost, um, I was able to work in that job again. And then I never thought I'd get married again. I was like, oh my God, I'm 30. Who's ever going to, because my husband like left. He's like, I'm sorry, I can't deal with this anymore. Um, and I wound up getting remarried in the program. And the eating disorder, I definitely thought I never wanted kids. I was like, I'm never going to have my body change. I'm never going to be able to get pregnant, first of all. And I'm too selfish to have kids. And um, we decided we wanted to try to have kids. And I was convinced that I wouldn't be able to because of everything I had done to my body. And I was able to get pregnant. And being pregnant in recovery from an eating disorder was really, really difficult. And I worked with my nutritionist and my sponsor. And, you know, um, I, was, I had a little girl. So she's seven and a half months old and it's been the biggest gift of my life because this was definitely not in the cards for me. And, um, there is a God today because if there wasn't a God, like that little girl is like looking into the eyes of God, you know? And, um, I was able to have a healthy baby and a healthy pregnancy. And, um, you know, I work with my sponsor. I call, she's taught me how to love myself really. Cause I hated myself. Even like a few years of being absent I still hated myself. And now it's like, I want to accept myself and love myself for who I am and not feel like I'm a slave to this disease that has to work out every minute or has to look a certain way. I was just in my brother's wedding and the idea of being in a wedding and not starving yourself was like ludicrous to me. So I was in this wedding and I look normal, I think, and it was okay. And I actually left on the plane and I was crying because I was like, wow, I 
was present for my family. I love my family. They're kind of crazy. They always will be. My mom will always do her food thing and I'll do mine. She'll ask me why I'm eating mayonnaise and I'll keep eating it. But it's like, you know what? I got to be present today for the people in my life. And I had this moment yesterday where I was like looking in her crib. Her name's Hannah. And she was looking back at me and she put her hands out and I was touching her hand and we were holding hands. And I thought to myself, if I could just freeze this moment forever, this would, this was not supposed to be my life. You know, I mean, I couldn't get out of bed. I was throwing up so violently. It would, would it matter how many times, you know, would it matter if my heart was palpitating or if I was seeing black or what it was? Cause I hated myself so much and I would have missed this. It's like seconds and inches. I sometimes hear people say seconds and inches. It would have all been gone, you know? So when I get the idea in my head that I can maybe go to some like CrossFit, you know, that people do, no, I can't do that. Not for me. Just like other people could drink. I can't do that either, but I can't like work out in a normal way like other people could do. And, 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 What's the payoff? The payoff is today I get to be present for moments like that. I get to live a life with my husband where we get to enjoy each other. I get to make amends, which I do often. But you know what? It's like the joy that I get today and the fact that I get to live my life and not be in the prison of an eating disorder is a miracle. And if I can do it, so can you, you know, um, we all can do it and we can do it together. And it's about not keeping secrets and being transparent, you know, cause that was a really big thing for me. I wanted to always look good. If I look good, then I'm okay. And they were like, who are you? Who do you think you're fooling? You know, like you're crazy. Cause I didn't want to tell you how I was really thinking. Cause I thought you would judge me, but that's been my, you know, I think that's really been one of the biggest things for me is being honest, you know, honest about my intentions and my motives. And, um, the more I'm honest, the more free I get to be. And it's like, how free do I want to be? And I want to be able to have moments like I just described, more of those. And I know that if I went back, I don't know if I'd make it. Because every time I relapse with the bulimia, it just got worse. You know? And I want to be able to show my daughter that she's more than what she looks like. You know, that it's who you are on the inside, being happy and loving yourself. So that is my time. So thank you for letting me share. Wow. That was awesome. You're a superstar. <laughs> go, go. Bye, Ross. Oh, I'm on tape. Now everyone will hear your name. <laughs> I'm Tish Compulsive Reader, bulimic, anorexic. And um, wow, that's a hard act to follow. Can I say, like, ditto and let's move on? No. <laughs> A lot of that is my story. And um, so I, very similar. And I do remember when you came in, and it is wonderful to see the miracles of this program work in people's lives. And um, and that that is just why I keep coming back, you know, hearing stories like that. I can't even imagine um, having this life beyond my wildest dreams. Actually, I wouldn't be here today when I came into program I was, my heart also was palpitating and I was also on EKG and I was in a hospital program and I'm pretty sure I would have had a heart attack by within six months because, um, they were taking my EKG like five times a day going like just waiting for me to fall over the edge. But, and I came in, so my story is I come from a big fat Greek family and, um, just like the movie, it's pretty much like my life. And except for instead of Windex, they use Pine Sol. <laughs> it's really stinky, I know. Yeah. And um, 
and growing up and I've, and I've been in these rooms and in recovery and abstinent, God willing, um, in June, 31 years. And that my abstinence is no purging, no matter what. And unless I have the flu and that (laughs) are pregnant, that was really hard too. And, um, (laughs) no intentional purging, no matter what, and staying accountable. And, um, I um, grew up with a fa- in a family where food, we used it for everything. We used it for um, joy and sorrow and stress. And and that's and, and my aunts and uncles were all compulsory eaters. And I wonder if there's like this genetic link, because I have five girl cousins and four of them are bulimic. And, um, and same story, you know, their moms would put locks on the refrigerator and um, just crazy shit growing up. And... So when I was growing up, I wasn't, I remember sugar, sugar was the love of my life. I just, I always craved it. I remember being little too. And I, and I think I probably was six or seven and my, actually I was, I had to be under six because my mom bought a box of ding dongs and, and she hid them from me and I found them and I ate the whole thing and I got actually really sick from that. I couldn't eat ding dongs again, well, pretty much ever until I got into my bulimia and then I started binging on ding dongs. But, um, I remember that sugar high, I just was kind of this hyper kid and I was a very sensitive, emotional kid. And so when I would get made fun of, I would get very upset and kind of throw, you know, throw tantrums and, um, and I, they, my family would rate me on a scale of one to 10, what my tantrum, you know, watch out, it's a 10, everybody clear the room. And, and, and I, it was funny at the time, but really, it's very coming as a little girl, just nobody really ever heard me. I just wanted to be heard and I wanted to be, um, you know, taken more seriously and and feel important. And I just, that wasn't there. It was all about how you appeared on the outside. Did you look good? And as I got older, same thing in my family, it's, it was all about how you looked. It was a very, a very vain family. How good did you look on the inside? How much do people love you? And don't tell anybody our secrets and, um, you know, family secrets are the most important thing. So we didn't let leak anything out and we always had food around no matter what. And I think I was about 10. My mom sent me to the grocery store and she gave me money and she, I came back and she's like, did you buy any sugar? And I said, no, I didn't buy any sugar. I lied. She knew I was lying. And she goes, I know you bought sugar because the grocery store manager called me and told me you bought sugar, which is a lie. She said that to me (laughs) to catch me. And she said, you don't, do you want to end up looking like me? And, um, my mom is a compulsive reader and to this day she's a compulsive reader. And, um, I mean, what little girl doesn't want to look like their mother? I mean, I know stories of girls that have been beaten and abused and cigarette burns on their, burns on their legs by their mothers and they still defend them and they still want their mother. So of course I wanted to be like my mother. It was very, um, I just remember it. I had a terrible memory as, as a child, but I remember that. I remember those, that feeling. I remember the feeling I had, um, of just being overwhelmed and, and just like, of course I wanted, I, I don't know, you know? So as I got older, um, I also got into exercise. I started swimming and, um, I would eat pretty much only sugar, but I didn't have a body type that got heavy easily. So, and I was running around a lot. So I just had a, I had a belly, like a beer belly, but, um, just like a normal little kid, but I always was very self-conscious of my belly. And, um, 
And so I was always tucking it in or covering up and you could see me in pictures. And then when I got to high school and boys came in the picture, I, um, and actually even in junior high and boys came into the picture, I, I got a boyfriend and, um, he was the love of my life, like girls. And, um, and I thought, you know, the sun set on him and, and, and ra- rose on him and, um, got really involved with him. And then some bad things happened with him. And, um, actually I'll just say it because I don't always say it in public, but I say it. So, um, I, I was in love with him and so decided to have sex with him and like got pregnant on the first time, like second time. So I was pretty young. I was like 15 and decided to have an abortion and, um, nobody knew but him and his mom. And I, I'm saying this because Terrell said something at the luncheon meeting about remember the feeling he had when he ate that donut. And I actually, um, I remember the feeling walking out. They told me I had to go eat something after this abortion. And I remember the feeling and the texture of that meatball sandwich at Subway. I remember. And it came up yesterday because um, we went and got food for... Um, one of my nephew's friends, because I went to his concert yesterday, and he wanted a meatball sandwich from Subway. And it was weird because it brought this emotion, this feeling. It's amazing that food can be attached to a feeling. And I just remember sitting there going, okay, I'm going to be okay. This food is filling me up. It's filling that pain up. And it really, it was a pivotal moment for me, a traumatic moment for me. Um, I know people in college I've gone with to college, and I know people that have gone in and out of you know, trying bulimia and then they've just decided to stop throwing up. And for me, um, or just to stop eating or stop being anorexic for me, that food, it was, it became my best friend that day. And it was, um, at that soothing, comforting. And from then on, I shut everything else out and I, and it became my go-to. And so, um, I still was with this boyfriend, but then we ended up moving and going and I was swimming and I was swimming a lot, like six, six hours a day or something ridiculous. So I was eating like six meals a day and I stopped swimming and I put on a lot of weight because I kept eating and that food was comforting me. And then we moved to a different city. Probably my dad wanted to get me away from that boyfriend looking back. And, um, seriously. And I, um, felt so lost and I had this facade in high school where I looked, I was just so happy. I was a people pleaser and I was always smiling and I was always people pleasing with everybody else. And on this inside, I was just so dark and lost and contemplating many different ways to kill myself. And nobody knew this dark side, um, in high school. And I just, I lived this like dual life. I had this like bipolar, it's not, that's not the definition of bipolar, but I lived this dual life where I had a, a secret life and a very, you know, active involved in high school life. And so this boyfriend and I, so another boy came into my life right away. And this boyfriend and I dated all through high school. And I actually did tell him about that abortion. He did not respond very well. And, um, then I, God, I remember taking like a bottle of aspirin. I don't even know how I got, I just wanted to end it all. And, um, and that didn't work. And then the food came back in the picture and I remember, wow, this is a memory. His mom made sloppy joes that night. And I remember the texture of the food. I remember the taste of the food. I told you I have a shitty memory, but I remember this. I remember that food comforting me. And one more time, I was just proven right. People will disappoint me, but food will fill me. It will comfort me. So, um, 
I went on to college my senior year. My dad told me he heard about this woman that would um, throw up her. She stayed skinny by throwing up her food. I'm all, that's a fabulous idea. Why have I not thought of that? And um, I tried it and it was easy for me. I was an easy bulimic. Some people have a hard time. And I was like, this rocks. Like, why haven't I been doing this from, you know? And so um, I started throwing up occasionally whenever I got really full like once a month that probably lasted one month because the next month it was probably four times a month. And then by the time I got to college, I went to college and because we also were high achievers, of course we were going to college. I didn't, my dad applied for me. I didn't even apply for college. He just said, yeah, here, you're going here. I'm like, okay. Cause I was a daddy's little girl and I did everything perfect. Like I was told to. And in my family, the craziness came from the food, the compulsive overeating and the obsessive um, compulsive behaviors. And is that 10 minutes? Okay. So I hate getting stuck in my childhood. Um, but so I went to, so I went to the college where he told me to go and I moved into the dorms and don't you know, I mean, the dorms is bulimic heaven, the dorm food. It's like a buffet of food of everything you want all the time for free. And I was just like, this is awesome. But I wasn't thinking that way really. Cause I was still pretty lost in a very, very dark place. And my spiral was just getting deeper and deeper and I would eat to feel better. And then I discovered throwing up and then I would throw it up. And I got to the point where I just, the bulimia itself, the throwing up itself, the act itself was such a, um, a comforting, um, you know, sometimes I wonder if it saved my life because I get so dark and then I fill up and I was so empty. I'd fill it up with food and then I was so full. I'd have to get rid of it. And that act was just, I mean, I even remember the, the, the way I felt. It's like I never could be, I was never empty enough and I was never full enough. There was never a point where I was okay. And speaking of feeling comfortable in your own skin, I never felt comfortable in my own skin ever. And I just always felt antsy. Like I just needed to get out and and again, contemplating different ways I could drive off the side of the road. I could slip my wrist. I could shoot myself. And I just, it, and the coping mechanism came because this food just numbed me out. And then I was partying on top of it. So I got through college doing this. The binging and purging got pretty bad. And some of us, I mean, I probably was eating 50,000 calories a day. I, I probably, and I was spending at that time, my dad gave me a credit card, like $1,500 a month just on food. And I would tell him, I'm just taking everybody out to dinner all the time. I would tell him I was taking everybody else out to dinner. And I just, crazy behavior. I can't believe I'm alive today. I was going, you know, midnight, I, three in the morning, I'd go to drive-thrus and I'd find empty bathrooms on campus and to where I could throw up. And I just, I became an expert bulimic. That was an ex, I was an excellent expert bulimic, like nobody knew. And, um, and I thought nobody else had this issue. And then once I saw a girl in the dorms, the behavior was the same. And I knew she was throwing up and I stalked her. She like ate all this food and she put all these cookies in her purse. I'm like, where is she going? And I followed her and she went, found an empty bathroom and she went to that bathroom and she threw up and I knew she was throwing up. And I thought, Oh my God, there's someone else doing this out there. I was just like, I was shocked, but um, not shocked enough to do anything about that. And then at that time, a friend of mine um, became a born-again Christian, and she decided she, I was going to become a born-again Christian with her, and that was going to fix me. And I was like, oh, I'm a born-again Christian. I'm never going to throw up again. And then I threw up like 10 times that day <laughs> because I could not cope. I just was looking for a fix. I was waiting for somebody to 
just come and save me. And so um, I, by my senior year, I was starting to black out when I was throwing up. And um, my roommate, I lived with six girls, and none of them knew I was throwing up all of their food while they were gone and going back to the store and buying it. Like I told you, I was, it was my job. I didn't have a job job. I, I, the, this summer, I was the summer for my senior year, I'd, go, I'd eat half their cereal, um, and then I'd mark where I ate it, and then I'd go back to the store, and then I'd buy more cereal, and then I'd eat back down to that half, and I'd mark it, and then I'd put everything in a trash bag, and I'd literally go drive around looking for empty trash cans so nobody would catch me and know my dark secret. And, um, and I lived this way until I was blacking out and having night terrors, and I woke up. My roommate suggested I go see a therapist, and she gave me a check, and I went and saw this woman, Sandra, I forgot her last name, what a lifesaver, because she's like, maybe you should try these OA meetings. Well, what are those? She's like, look, I have this list for you. And, and I was seeing her, and I was just, once I started going to therapy, by the way, it got worse. And then I started going to this meeting. It was a bulimic meeting in this little house in, in Anaheim. Kelly, do you remember Kelly? Kelly, and um, Kelly's house. And I would go to her meetings and I would sit in the corner and I bought all the books and I put them in a brown paper bag and stuck them in my car and that didn't work either, damn it. And I got worse. Like I'd binge and purge before the meeting. I'd binge and purge after the meeting. And, um, and then we'd go out to lunch and we'd go to like claim jumper. What, why would bulimics and go to claim jumper? Have you ever seen the size of their meals? But they had great bathroom stalls because there was no, you couldn't see the, your feet under them. So I'd find restaurants where there's no bathroom where they had full doors so nobody would know my secret. I was just all about my secret. I just, and I was so lost. So by the end of my senior year, instead of going to Europe, I thought maybe I should um, deal with this problem since I was starting to black out more. And I went to my parents and I said, I had this little problem. Terrell reminded me of this, of, of this too. I just kind of throw up sometimes, just like sometimes. <laughs> and so they, I went to a hospital unit, eating disorders at five more minutes. And, um, and that was June 26th. Um, nope, 25th. That's my husband's birthday, 26, 1986. And that morning, I'm sorry, 25th, my husband's birthday, because that morning I went and binged and purged before I went into the hospital unit. And, um, and I, God willing, I have not purposely, on purpose thrown up since, and they really, I went to that unit and what they did for me, the gift they gave me besides getting me abstinence is they taught me how to affirmations, how to look at myself in the mirror. They did all those exercises with me and they taught me how to keep my food down because God, I couldn't even keep an apple down. A cup of coffee I had to throw up. I mean, it killed me to keep a cup of coffee down. If I was full, it needed to come out. And I thought I was going to die if I Kept and I for sure thought I was going to gain 30 pounds. I think I gained like two pounds. But about about a year later, I stopped weighing myself. I went through a dear friend of mine speaking right now, and I'm missing her. And she used to come to my meetings. I started meeting at my house, and I went through this. Um, I decided that weighing myself made me just as crazy and obsessive. So in recovery, I go to this hospital unit. I get out three months later, and I kind of white knuckle it for a year, and I. I just, I know this, I know that my way was going to kill me. And that's what they told me. I would have probably been dead by then. So what I did was I just kept coming back and getting my seat and my butt into the chairs. And I found other ways to practice my obsession, whether it be shopping and vitamins and, or buying things or exercise, exercise or other ways to practice my disease. 
Um, but I just kept coming back and I didn't throw up no matter what. And, um, and about a year in, I'm like, I need, we need more bulimic meetings because that bulimic Kelly meeting ended. I did go to an OA meeting first and it was a bunch of women that looked like my mom and I'm like, I'm out of here. So <laughs> fuck no. And now, you know, I love OA meetings. I love this program, but back then it scared the shit out of me. So I went to, I started this meeting at my house and us girls decided that we were so crazy over the scale. Like we were weighing our, I was weighing myself like 12 times a day, like a quarter of a pound made or break broke my day. And there's no way that scale was ever going to be low enough. There's no number that would have been low enough. So we took a sledgehammer to my scale and I haven't weighed myself since. And that's a huge gift except for when I was pregnant. And when I go to the doctor, I turn around and I tell him, I don't want to know how much I weigh. Please don't tell me how much I weigh. And it's just not my fucking business, my, my freaking business. I'm trying not to say that for a minute. So, um, it's not if you know what, what, and here's what else is not my business what other people think of me. And because if I focus on what other people think of me and compare myself to everybody here, then um, that's going to put me in the deepest, deepest, darkest place ever because I'm never going to measure up. So here's who I can compare myself to. I can compare myself to the person I was in my disease. And, and my best, best, best day in my disease is not even... How's it go? Gosh, I always get it wrong. The worst day in... In recovery is not as bad as the best day of my disease because today these promises have come true in my life and it did take for me a long time. I, I, I probably didn't, I couldn't even look in the mirror and say I love myself probably for five years and I probably really didn't believe it for maybe 10 and I don't mean to scare people off if they're looking at, God, does it take that long? It's just, that's, that was my path. That's the way it worked for me. I just was such a piece of... Um, little girl that just thought I was worth nothing. And I had to come here and you tell me that I loved myself to eventually start to believe it. And actually my very first meeting, somebody grabbed me and said, keep coming back. It was the Wednesday night Costa Mesa meeting and said, keep coming back. We will love you till you can love yourself. And um, it stuck with me because I remember one day going, oh my gosh, I kind of feel like I love myself. It I, I didn't always feel like that and life happens and things happen, but in recovery, I've, I've gotten this life really. That's amazing. And shit happens in my life still today, but this is life stuff and I'm able to do it. And I'm able to, um, I'm able to have a life and do life because I don't have my head in the toilet 10 hours a day. And food is not everything I think about. Cause when I came here, Food was 24-7. That is all I thought about. How I was going to get the next meal and how I was going to throw it up. Or how I was going to starve. And my path was, I've just learned here through the steps, through sponsors, how to keep my path um, not too narrow and not too wide. That's tough because I'm a compulsive overeater and I am also a bulimic anorexic. So I'm just going to go like three more minutes since we have like an hour and a half anyways because I hate to end on that and um, say... I don't, I'm not going to say three more minutes, but I want to say this. It works if you keep coming back. And if you don't do anything else perfect, just what you can do is just get your butt in these chairs and believe that there are other people out there um, that know what you've gone through and you're not alone. We're not terminally unique. And that, um, and, and if you really just take one day at a time, and try and stay in that 
that motto of taking one day at a time, because when I start projecting about what could happen, even in recovery, what could happen with my kids, what could happen with my husband, what could happen with the world, what could happen with war? I mean, I can, I will, I will be batshit crazy. And I could even do that today. I mean, I could seriously start thinking too much and put myself in a crazy state. But if I stay in the moment and just one day at a time, I love these chips. I bought like 10 of them. I'm going to pass them out. 10 minutes, guys, it's a 10 minute chip. Because I say often, maybe sometimes we just need to take, maybe a day at a time is even a little a reach. Sometimes I just need to take an hour at a time, sometimes a minute at a time. I remember being newly abstinent that first year and sitting on the Stairmaster chanting a minute at a time, God, I would say replace the fear with faith, replace the fear with faith, replace the fear with faith. I just would chant it because I had so much fear and angst. And it just it was so scary that my food was staying in my body and that I had to eat to live. And sometimes I just didn't even want to eat. That's what's tough about this program. We got to eat to live. And there are days when I just wanted to eat broccoli and cottage cheese all day long. And like Lauren, my abstinence is moderation. If I um, make it, if I make my road too narrow, um, I'll fall off. So I keep my road as um, moderate as I can. And, so, and some time, years and some days and some weeks, it looks different than it used to. When I first got here, I couldn't keep cereal in my house for a year. I could not keep cereal or peanut butter for two years. I couldn't keep peanut butter, maybe three. And that's okay because um, food doesn't dictate my happiness anymore. And it's not my best friend anymore. And it's not my comfort anymore. And today my comfort is a higher power that, and these rooms and, and, and the people I see in these rooms and the God that I see in all of your eyes. And, um, that today is what brings me that joy. So, um, I'm just waking up and being grateful that I can walk and I have help and I can exercise moderately and healthfully. And, um, and today for me, exercise also is a moderate health plan. I used to also work out like two hours a day and, and, um, and I would start using that as, you know, a way to deal with my emotions. So if I just stay accountable, stay moderate and keep coming back, it works. So I just encourage you, um, yeah, just keep coming back and that's it. Thanks. Okay. So now we have questions. We have a little question box going around and, um, we're going to, it's an ask it and basket question. And we have two minutes for the shares. Is it there? Is that this too? Okay. Yeah. Oh, just a box. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, want me to take a first one, or you want to take a first one? Oh, they put a name on it, Lauren. Okay. <laughs> okay. Does it trigger you that so many oh? Ayers work and talk about a program that involves not eating certain foods or counting calories. Eat less and exercise more. If so, what do you make it? Wait, what do you make it not? What does that say? Bug you? Bug you. What do you do? What do you do to make it not bug you? What do I do to. Okay, okay. So when I first came, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, when I first came in and I was being like told I had to eat all these things and I went to meetings and I was like furious, <laughs> but, um, 
I think because part of me wishes I could probably do that, but I just end up in the same spot. So for me, what I have to, what I have to say is that, you know, I mean, there's different types of meetings and like, sometimes there'll be more like anorexics and bulimics in certain meetings and, you know, sometimes not, but everyone has their own food plan, you know, and that's like the beauty of this program. I mean, I'm sure some people who have what I have maybe do a different food plan and if it works for them, that's okay. But for me, it's like, I've tried, I tried it that way. Like there was like a year where I, I literally was like, okay, I'm not going to eat my binge foods. And it just didn't work. I was crazy. So for me, I know that, you know, I can't be comparing myself to everybody else and like what they do. I just have to know what, what I do and what works for me really, because other, otherwise it's like, it's not going to matter. You know, I mean, I could look at someone and be like, oh, you know, they weigh and measure everything and they, you know, only eat these five food groups. And like, if that makes them happy, great for them, but that wouldn't make me happy. You know, it would put me right back where I was. So I just can't like live like that, you know? So thank you. Okay. Okay. This is anyone. How do you work your program around how you feel about your appearance? That's a good one because it's about feeling comfortable in your body. So um, I I personally live on that motto that it's not my business um, what other people think of me. Now, of course, I'm actually vain and I and I try not to be. <laughs> I was raised in a vain family and and I also just yeah I care what other people think. I'm not going to say I don't care what other people think, but I'm going to say it's not my business what other people think. When I start worrying about that, then I lose that peace and serenity that comes with recovery. So, um, how do you feel about, how do you work your program around how you feel about yourself? So when I start to care what other people think of me and how I look, I, um, today it's kind of, which is, which is wonderful being in this program more than half my life. It has become a motto, like in my head, my itty bitty shitty committee is now being challenged by this healthy uh, uh, eating disorder voice that said, you know, I mean, recovery voice that says, yes, just shut the fuck up. It's not your business. Just shut up. It doesn't matter what other people think of you. And if I can't get over it and I'm really feeling insecure about it, I know that I need to go to a meeting or make a phone call. I used to write a lot more. I don't write as much, but definitely connect with somebody. And sometimes it's easy as uh, if no, I can't get a hold of someone, I might just leave a message. Hey, I'm kind of really insecure about what people, how people think I look today. And I just, I'm a teacher and I just, they just made this movie with me in it. And, um, and I didn't know that it was a surprise movie where they brought these students up to, you know, read these letters and, um, it was a sweet movie and it was emotional and I was crying because these students were amazing and, and I wasn't dressed for it and I'd just gone to yoga and I had a muumuu on and I felt like I, you know, my first thought was, oh my gosh, I look like a cow. And, um, I'm like, yeah, no, I was so happy when they read those letters to me. It just so did. It was so much more powerful, the happy, joyous and free. I felt it's not my business about worrying how I look on camera when other people think of me. And so I, um, got pick up the phone. I called my sponsor on that one. I'm like, Hey, Oh no, I think I might've emailed. This is awesome. I just, this is what I felt. And it just kind of reinforced it. So yeah, I just make If I, um, I work my program around it. If I start to care what others think, I pick up the phone for me personally, or I, I work a tool around it. It's not my business because yeah, there's that. Yeah. Next one. All right. <laughs> How did you, I don't have my glasses on. How did you find your higher power? 
want me to get or you want to get? You can go. <laughs> I find my higher power. <laughs> um, gosh, my sponsor says often, I see God in other all your eyes. And how did I find my higher power? Um, that I was raised Greek Orthodox, like I told you. That God wasn't anything. I had no personal relationship with any God in that form. Um, my higher power I found by... Um, um, I once told, someone told me, I'm like, I don't, sh- I'm not sure who this higher power is and who am I believing in and how is it even uh, working and how is it affecting me? And someone told me once, well, if you can, uh, um, when I was in that uni- that hospital unit said, well, do you ever go to the beach and stand in the waves? And I said, yeah, um, yeah. They're like, well, can you stop the waves? And I'm all, no. They're like, well, the waves are more powerful than you for, so for today, the waves are going to be your higher power. And if you start to doubt, just go stand in the ocean, stand in the waves and see if you can stop them and understand this. There's something out there more powerful than you and you don't have to do it alone and you don't have to be your higher power anymore. So I would often go, actually, I burned a couple of my first steps at the beach and um, that became a solace for me until eventually really my higher power is, um, if I really want to look at it, it's just light. It's the light. How do I find it? It's the light I feel when I close my eyes. And I really find my higher power at the end of a meeting when we say the third step prayer or say any prayer. Um, I picture this light surrounding all of us. And I always, I rarely not, I often feel this light. And for me today, that's what um, I would call, you know, for me, I call it this higher power God. But um, that's how I found my heart. Did I answer my question? Yeah. <laughs> That's what. Oh, I like it more. Okay. How often do you weigh yourself? So like Tish had said, I don't weigh myself ever. Um, there's been a few times with the doctor where like I've seen them. I, I always, if I go to the doctor, I ask them to weigh me backwards, but sometimes I'll write it down. Like if I see it, I get so annoyed, <laughs> but, um, literally I haven't owned a scale since I came out to treatment in 2010. So I will probably never own a scale. And the answer to that question is I, I just don't do it. I mean, just like I don't throw up, like I do not weigh myself. I don't want to know cause it's going to like dictate my whole day and it's an obsession and, and it's never low enough, you know? Ever. Like, when is it ever going to be low enough? So I don't own a scale. And whenever I go to the doctor, like, they pretty much know. Like, some, I, I'll even refuse to get weight sometimes. Like, if it's, like, the walk-in clinic, I'll be like, no, no thanks. Like, I did that last week. I was like, sorry. Like, all right. But, um, yeah, I just I just don't weigh myself. <laughs> That's true. I, can you imagine a nurse is like, oh, okay. <laughs> nope, I'm not doing it. And that was all the questions. Anybody have any other questions? Because if we don't have other questions, yeah. That's an excellent question. It, and I think we both, and I'll answer that, and if you want to answer it too. It's a great question. Yeah, because I didn't, I didn't eat whatever I wanted in the beginning. I didn't, let me rephrase that. I didn't, there was many things I stayed away from. And the only way I discovered that is what felt safe and what didn't if I ate it. And I felt really uncomfortable with it. Um, they let us, they let us, in my, in my, the beginning of my recovery when I was new, I was in the hospital program and they put us on an exchange plan. So um, that's a great story because when I had gotten out of that hospital program, I was on an exchange plan, but I got the sponsor and she wanted me to do three meals and two snacks. 
And I remember I went to happy hour with some friends and I picked up a chip and I ate it, not thinking. And I'd already had my snacks and I'm all, I ate like two chips. Oh my God. And I went and called her. It was raining. I was in a phone booth. That's how old that is. Damien, no cell phone. Oh my God, ate a chip. And she's like, you broke your abstinence. I'm all, what? She's like, and she was an OA or she wasn't a bulimic. She's like, yeah, you broke your abstinence. And I'm just going to clarify, I'm going to put it out there. She was certifiable, like literally got, she got institutionalized like about six months later because she was, she ended up in a, a ward and I'm not sure what happened to her, but she was really strict. And I thought that's, that's what I needed at the time. And she told me I broke my abstinence and I freaked and I started crying and I called that Kelly girl that used to have the bleeding meetings. I'm like, she just said I broke my absence because I had two chips. She's like, you did not break your absence because you had two chips. Your absence is no binging and purging no matter what. If you make your road too narrow, if you make your road like, okay, no white flour, no sugar, three meals a day, two snacks, like you might see someone else in OA doing, then you're going to fall off of it. Because for today, it was, you know, in that moment and in that beginning of that recovery, not throwing up was all I could do. And so today when I say I don't throw up no matter what and I'm accountable, um, it's because I find I need, so that food plan worked for me back then, but then through the years, it's just, it's changed up. Like I don't eat gluten anymore because it makes me feel sick and I stay away from dairy or I take lactate cause that makes me feel bloated. So it's, it's evolved. It's evolved for me, but there were certain things when I, that first year of recovery also, I had this wonderful roommate and I just, I would find myself having us you know, because I was on the exchange program, but then I find myself wanting more or having more cereal or peanut butter or whatever it was, or ice cream or trigger foods. And I just kept them out of my house. I didn't say I could never have them. If I said that to myself, I can never eat these things. My, my road would have been very narrow, but I just didn't keep them in my house. And I just committed to what I was going to eat. And I found for me, I worked with a sponsor and said, here's my exchanges. I stayed around that general area. Cause I knew if I did these certain exchanges that I wasn't going to gain weight. Cause that's what worked for me when I first got in. A lot of people nowadays do do nutritionists. If you want to speak to that back then, they didn't really have nutritionists. Well, I'll just say for, for me, um, like I said, it was these two extremes. It was either like, I'm going to eat all of this by myself so that no one could see, or I'm going to eat none of it. And the idea of one, you know, when I got the treatment and then they're like, like we had no choice. It was like really strict. So it was exchanges at first, like in the, you know, in the hospital and the residential treatment program. But then the aftercare was just about like portion control and eating everything. And it petrified me. Like I didn't say during my story, but like when they told me I had to eat two pieces of pizza in 2010, like I legit went and took a cab to the airport because I couldn't fathom how like I could do that. I was absolutely out of my mind, like crazy. Um, and for me, I think it's like, I've really had to learn and it made me really sad to be honest with you. Cause I had spent the greater part of my life trying to control my food so much. And when I found that when I was eating these things and having like one snack a day of, you know, a treat or like eating pizza or whatever it was, but it was just with the portion they told me to, and I wasn't gaining weight. I remember crying cause I was like, Oh my God, I've spent so long thinking I can't have that. And I'm not gaining weight eating this. And it was very bizarre. And to sit with my food without throwing it up was really, really hard. I mean, I just remember sitting there and I would just be like, okay, just like you're going to eat no matter what, it's like, you're going to not throw up no matter what. And to sit there and feel full and like the anxiety of not being able to get rid of the food. I mean, it was, 
it was horrible. But I remember just sitting there and be like, okay, we're going to breathe. We're going to breathe through it. And that's all I could say is that I would just breathe through it because I knew in my mind, like I felt like once I, if I do this, I'm going to keep doing it again and over and over and over. And like, when, when is it going to stop? So once I kind of made up my mind, like I'm not going to throw up no matter what, if I eat it, I own it, you know, it's going to stay and it's going to just be what it is. And that's super uncomfortable, you know? Um, but for me, I, I do work with a nutritionist and it's the same nutritionist for a long, long, long time. And, um, I'd be lying if I said I just ate whatever I wanted because I didn't care what I looked like. You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes my choices are more towards like, okay, I want to be a little bit more healthy. Um, so I don't always eat whatever I want in fear that maybe I won't look how I want to look. You know, my hope is like when we were told we could kind of make our own breakfast and our own lunch and like we had to eat whatever they were making and we all cooked like for dinner and um, I had to stop being so afraid to eat and so afraid of food. And diets don't work. I mean, they just don't, you know? I mean, if they did, I wouldn't be here because every time I try a diet and I was always trying to like get back to that point, I mean, I would fail myself over and over and over and over again, you know? And the fact is, it's like, we don't have to wake up feeling so shameful for breaking a diet, you know? So I think like, yeah, if you make the road too narrow, maybe you hear people and they have different food plans and it's very narrow, like for, for a lot of us, like that doesn't work. So it's just knowing that someone else knows more than me and trusting them and, and being honest, you know? So it's like, if I ate extra two chips, I'm not going to think like, oh my God, I relapsed, you know? (laughs) So, so yeah, it took a lot of getting used to, but there's also a lot of freedom in that too. So. Yeah. It's a place of fear of faith too, that whole concept of just. Yeah. Does anyone else have any questions? And I'd like to hear from both of you. <laughs> oh, man. Well, on two levels. The first the first thing is, I know you said not in a food way, but, I mean, I'm going to be honest. Like, this isn't a food way. I mean, I've, do, I've been doing this for literally six years. So it's like every day I get a snack, and it's always something sweet. And, I mean, I look forward to it like a little kid. So that is my, like, you know what I mean? And at first I couldn't really like handle a lot and I still don't keep like the whole thing in my house, but it makes me happy, you know? And, and I, and I will, it's crazy. I mean, the people at Golden Spoon like know me, you know what I mean? Cause I don't keep a whole vat of stuff in my house. Like to me, that's just a setup to fail. I mean, I have a child, so one day she's probably going to want that. So I've actually been starting to work with my nutritionist on keeping stuff in the house because I have to, you know, I don't want to model for her what was modeled to me. Um, so I very much so look, look, you know, I don't buy a whole cake. I'll get a piece of cake or eat half of it. You know what I mean? But as far as the sensuality and like, I mean, yeah, for sure. When you were talking about the sloppy Joes, I'm like picturing the sloppy Joes or the, uh, trust me, if I could eat frosting all day, I would. I mean, I used to have to replace my roommate's frosting like on the daily because I would literally eat half a can of frosting. (laughs) But you know what? Frosting is never going to give me what other things will, you know, it's never going to give me that peace. It's never going to give me that love or that fulfillment or that intimacy that I crave with other people. So I think I found for me in recovery is for me, recovery is opposite of the disease in the sense that the disease was so isolating and it cut me off from myself, from everybody else around me. And 
like I, like I always just say, it's like a prison. You're in a prison. So now I've replaced like the eating disorder behaviors. I'd like to think with people and the intimacy that I maybe never got when I was younger. I get to choose those in my life today. You know, I get to choose the people. If someone isn't good for me, I don't have to have them in my life, but I want to be around people who kind of have the same goals that I do. And that intimacy that I've always craved, I get to create that, you know? So that's kind of, I hope that maybe answers it a little bit. That's awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. She's right. I mean, that's great. Thank you. Um, <laughs> that was good. Um, and that, and thank you for reminding me. My first year in abstinence, I went to Golden Spoon every single day. I forgot about that. Every single day, I went because it was a safe treat. It was something that was a portion. And I didn't, you know, and I stayed accountable. I didn't buy a quart and keep it in my house thinking I could just eat a third of it. If I wanted it, I had to go and get it and one, you know, during the day. And so, um, I know, and I know you know that and because it really kind of did, you're right. Food can be delicious. It can be, um, fulfilling. It can be enjoyable. It doesn't have to just be in some days. I don't want it. And some days I just want to take the red pill instead and not have to eat. And was that the red pill or the blue pill in the matrix? <laughs> oh, the matrix. Maybe. But it, so that I, <laughs> but I, and I agree with her today. I've replaced that sensuality, that feel, that texture with, with people and with other things like maybe a bath or I love, I love hot yoga. It just, I love to go and I love to meditate and I love to sweat and I love to purge out my sweat. And I find that it's a great, healthy, bulimic way to exercise because, <laughs> you know, you purge the sweat. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I don't go twice a day. Like some of my friends, my normie friends, like, are you going to stay for a two or two timer? I'm like, uh, no, not for today because for today I, what other people can do doesn't work for me. I can't go for two yoga classes a day. I want to often, but, um, not often actually depending on what's going on. So I, I replace that. I find that sensuality and I make choices today to have people in my life that are touch, you know, the touch, the sensuality can come from just a single touch. It doesn't have to be sex. It can be sexual. It can be just, you know, and massages and treating myself to things that feel good and maybe a pedicure. And if I don't have money, then maybe just a hot bath and buying a bath bomb that smells good. Oh, those lush bath bombs are awesome. They're like ice cream balls in your bathtub and they fizz. I really recommend them. I do <laughs> like those. And you sit there and you soothe. My sponsor um, takes a bath every single day of her life. And when she first got into recovery, um, sometimes she took four to five baths a day. Because that was the only thing that could soothe her. I just remembered that too. I forgot. She told me that a long time ago. Or maybe not so long ago. But um, she just takes it. But that's what soothes her, that feeling. And and then I don't beat myself up if I eat things for texture or taste. It's okay in moderation if I'm... I'm just because I'm bulimic doesn't mean I can't enjoy the the nice things in life. And sometimes that includes food. So um, to answer your question. Anybody else? Um, and would you then tell yourself 
that it's not a good idea for you to exercise because it may be considering it a purging mechanism, or do you still allow yourself to do that? And how do you know that? How do you make sure that you're not using it as a means of purging, um, and you're still maintaining a good relationship with exercise? Yeah, it's hard. I mean. I have to say for me, I feel like the pendulum used to swing so much. It was like, you know, even in abstinence, it was like overeating, undereating. It, it was very wide. And the longer I've been in recovery, it's gotten more narrow. Um, so it's like the undereating won't be as severe and the overeating won't be as severe. So I guess it's like, I don't feel the need to compensate for it like I used to. And, um, I have to be really careful with the exercise, you know, I mean, what might work for other people. I mean, I had to like be honest because I decided I couldn't go to my yoga class. So I had to go to my hot, the hot yoga class. My nutritionist was like, that is never a good idea for you. And I was like, eh. you know what I mean? Maybe one day, you know, but, um, I think if I think about when I think about exercise and I think about the fact that it has nothing to do with wanting to control my weight, I mean, I'd be lying, you know? It's, I still think of it as like, if I don't do, you know what I mean? It's not like I'm cured and all of a sudden I don't think of exercises, anything that's going to help me look a certain way. I mean, I still do that, but I think I just have to have some guidelines as to what's okay with me. Like I decided to join the gym last summer and I decided it's really not a good idea. So while I don't do like hot yoga, I do like heated yoga and, um, I, again, I think it's like, I'm trying to think back on the last time I felt like I overate so much that I had to compensate, that I felt like I had to compensate for that. And I, I haven't in like a while, which is a, a miracle. Um, but I don't, but that can be bulimia as well. You know, if you feel like, okay, I'm going to eat this so then I get to, and it's the whole like calculation and it drives me nuts. I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to clarify. <laughs> Do you see, does she see you? Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, hot yoga is, I don't mean like I'm practicing my disease in hot yoga. That's what I meant. And I just started doing hot yoga like six years ago. <laughs> and, um, and it's a treat. But if it's because I'm feeling heavy or full, actually that's opposite. The last thing I want to do is go into a hot room. And, um, but I don't, you're right. It's a tough one because we can use exercise and in some program, you know, in some programs and for some people, they can never exercise again because it, there is no moderation, but it's a tough call. Just like we have to eat to live. Um, exercise is something that's healthy for us. It's just a matter of, I think, staying accountable and having a sponsor or a God squad of people you feel safe with that you can talk to, to just stay accountable and say, Hey, like, at Thanksgiving, my family still has, you know, they show up with 30 pies or something and 500 meals. And, and I always make a commitment to stay, um, to keep, you know, one plate and because there's just so much food, but definitely in my, in my abstinence, I have overeaten. So what do I do when I feel uncomfortable with that? I, I allow, I allow myself to maybe go for a walk to help my digestion and that's okay. doesn't mean I'm going for a 10-mile run. I stay accountable. And I think with a sponsor or a nutritionist, a nutritionist is great, but if you can't afford a nutritionist, there's also a food sponsor you can work with. And you can say, hey, it, I'm really full, and I want to go to the gym for three hours, and I'm thinking, man, it's not a good idea. Um, but, you know, but I do want to get a little bit of, you know, my system going, maybe a walk, a gentle walk. Or uh, um, and listen to nice music, or go for a walk with a program friend, or call someone up. Or, but I think that's answered that question. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious. Uh, food plan that started to feel very healthy. 
Right. Um, oh, thank you, God. I went through menopause like four years ago. So, <laughs> but I do remember having, um, having food cravings at that time of month. And I think that goes back to not making your roads so narrow and restricting yourself from anything that maybe you're craving, but just looking at the staying accountable with a sponsor and being moderate. But the danger does come from, we have consequences if we do eat everything and anything we want. And it is dangerous for me as a bulimic, as an anorexic to put on weight and I don't weigh myself. So I know I'm sure I go up and down a little bit each month, but I don't, it's not my business what I weigh. So that's probably saving me right there. Cause those two or three pounds would throw me over the edge mentally. But, um, I do find that if I, my clothes get tight, then it's time to make a phone call to a sponsor, go back to committing my food, um, maybe go to a meeting and say, Hey, um, I clothes are feeling a little tight, so I'm going to lay off whatever, you know, I was comfortable eating before, but it's not so comfortable now and just staying accountable. But again, I, you know, I, I agree when we don't let ourselves have something when we're so restrictive, then that taps back into my anorexia, that strictness, because what, here's, what's comfortable to me in my disease and even in my head. And even probably today, like I said, a cup of cottage cheese, broccoli, and a egg white, not even an egg yolk an egg white. Yeah, that's a comfortable meal to me. That's what my head's going to say is safe and okay. I don't really even need cottage cheese, but so what is, what is your thoughts? I mean, yeah, I just, I feel like anything, I feel like that's like a healthy thing. You know what I mean? Because in the past, it's like I wouldn't allow myself to, to have that. So let's just say it's like, I mean, you have, a, if you know that you have a craving and you could eat it in moderation, like I think that's good that you, to allow yourself to do that, you know? I mean, sometimes I find like if I'm really craving a lot of things, like what's going on, you know, it's, it's, it's never about the food, but it is about the food. Um, so I feel like when it sounds like it's appealing maybe to go and like eat by myself, I think like, well, what's really going to happen if I do that? Um, I'm going to have to wake up and feel horrible about myself and I don't want to feel that way. But if I really feel like I want something, it's like, I'm going to allow myself to eat it. Cause anything I feel in my experience, like trying this, like everything I restrict, I end up binging on anyway. It just always happens. So I think, yeah, allowing the road not to be so narrow, um, has worked for me. I mean, for, for me, I could relate, relate to that because I think I used to be a lot more rigid with my food. Um, and I was smaller to be honest and I have, and I was kind of crazy still and I wasn't happy and I was doing crazy things in abstinence. And, um, for me, it has to be like, and I feel like I say this a lot, but I feel what kind of quality of life do I want? Is 10 pounds going to make me or break me? Like one time I literally had a doctor of one of these programs say to me, like, you're killing yourself over 10 pounds, you know? So I feel, yeah, maybe I'm not going to be this size I think I have to be, but that's like an eating disorder way to think I feel for me too, you know? It's like, if I feel like I have to, if I have to fit in my head, if I have to fit into this size, I have to eat and exercise in a way to do that. That's going to be in my eating disorder. It's not going to be healthy. So by following a meal plan and an exercise routine that are healthy, I kind of have to give that up in a way, which is really scary. But at the same sense, it's like, what kind of life do I want? Sure, I can go back to trying to be this certain size, but then I'm a slave again to doing the things I need to do to be that size. And I can't be happy. So it's kind of an acceptance, I think. 
Yeah, the acceptance. I know it's not comfortable, but I agree it with. Yeah, I have. I've also. I don't weigh myself, but I'm larger than I was. And at one point, I went on a that a doctor had put me on this candida cleanse to get rid of yeast, and and I dropped a bunch of weight. And um, it was like ten years ago. And I know I was really thin, and I loved being thin like that. I loved it, but my head was crazy. Here I am in abstinence, and it was. And then I was, I was freaking out about putting anything, even a piece of fruit in my mouth. And the same thing. I had to look at what, what I would rather be comfortable in my skin here if I have a moderate food plan that feels healthy, that my sponsors tell me that's healthy, that I have a moderate exercise plan, and allowing for the fact that I have an age-appropriate body. So if I stand in front of the mirror and say I have a beautiful age-appropriate body, I don't. I, it, if I can get into acceptance about that, then. And say, hey, I don't have to be super thin and fit and toned and, you know, rock hard. Because being like that, I was crazy. I was even crazy in abstinence. So um, just, yeah, acceptance. Anybody else? Questions? We can also open it to sharing, too. Well, we have five minutes, maybe not. (laughs) Or any. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have two kids. They're 23 and 21. And um, I had them in abstinence. I had I, I got married in abstinence. So um, I wasn't in my disease when I had my kids. I will say this. I've heard a statistic that um, mothers with children of five years and younger um, turn to more addictions than any other time in a woman's life. It's tough because we're taught in program to put ourselves first and our needs first and our program first, except how you do that when you have a little kid, because you really, it's really contradictory to program children and mothering is contradictory to getting abstinent and staying abstinent and program. So how do you find that balance? And I would just, and I would just say this, I would just go to as many meetings as I could when they were little, because even though I was abstinent, I still battle with, I mean, I found myself, I eat goldfish for lunch. I'm all, this is not safe. I just ate a bag of goldfish for lunch, even in, in abstinence. And because it was, you know, it was crazy and I had nothing else to eat and we were in target wherever I was, I don't know what I was doing. And so, um, yeah, <laughs> it's hard having little kids, but I think I would think, and, and I know you have a baby, but I would think for me going back to when I had that roommate. And then as my kids got older, I kept, when I raised my kids, I still had that fear that my daughter would, you know, have the eating disorder. And I have to tell you a funny story. My kids are great. They seem to be pretty av- normal. And, but my dog has been diagnosed with anorexia and, um, <laughs> he has emotional eating. Yep. That's cause he has IBD, IBS, intestinal bowel disorder, IBD, whatever. Anyways, um, no kidding. But that being said, I think it's okay to take care, to find moderation in taking care of yourself. Cause even when my kids were little, I didn't want those things in my house that were tempting me because even in abstinence, I didn't feel comfortable eating those things. I didn't feel good after I ate them. And, um, so I, it was okay to not have those things in my house. If my kids wanted cupcakes, they can get them at school or at a party or a birthday party. There was a point in time, by the way, my kids, my, they would go to the neighbors or like, and my son showed up with a list of food for the grocery list. He's like, Mom, I want to get real food because I'm tired of this food you have. I had healthy food in the house. And it had like ding-dongs and Wonder Bread and Coke on it. And because I kept 
healthier things in my house. I'm like, honey, those are not real food items. And yet, no, I'm not going to shop for those things. We try and stay healthy in this house. But I, f- I try and find moderation. I buy healthier cookies. And I always bought things that weren't my triggers. Like if it was chocolate chip cookies, something I would want, I would buy oatmeal cookies instead. I would, you know, just, just indulging them in everything to compensate for me um, wasn't healthy for them either. So I think it's good to take care, okay, to take care of yourself and, and find things that aren't so dangerous for you to keep in the house that are treats. And, um, and, and if they, you know, and if they want an ice cream and you're not comfortable with ice cream in the house, then go to the ice cream store and get an ice cream where it's not in the house. So I think, does it answer the question a little bit? Yeah. Anybody else? Burning desires? Because it's 3 o'clock, actually. I think there's another meeting in here. <laughs> so if you guys have any, um, uh, you know, questions or anything, we'll be out there afterwards. And um, think, what do you want to close? It's now time for this session to close. Let's stand and close with, what do you think, third step prayer? Sure. Third step prayer. Thank, um, thank you for sharing. Oh, that's us. Oh, yeah, I have like 10 of them. You want one? Here. <laughs> They're selling them for 40 cents.